Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Father, we just want to thank you and bless you for your word. Uh, Lord, we're asking that you will breathe upon it, O oh God, that, that it will, your spirit will give us revelation of it, and that this word, this, this, this message that is being shared will mark a turning point in the lives of those who are listening in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. Well, last uh, week Sunday, we spoke about a recognition that had gone bad as we looked at the story on our journey into God's promises of how uh, 12 spies were sent to spy out the land and brought a, a, a bad report back uh, to, 10 of them certainly brought a bad re report back to those who were waiting for the report of what the land was like. And we're continuing from there today uh, the title for our message is Kill the Giants. Kill the Giants. I would, I would like, even if you don't do it usually, I would like you to try to take notes today um, because I feel that this message has the capacity and will, by God's grace, totally transform your life, completely so. Um, the, 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 the spies went into the promised land um, they spied out the land. Uh, they came back with a report. Ten of them um, came back with this report. And I, I take their report from Numbers, the 13th chapter, verses 32 and 33. Numbers 13, 32 and 33. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Enoch came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so were we in their sight. They, they, they came into what God had promised them. Um, God had spoken specifically to them, but then they came back and said, when we are not able to go into that land. We can't take the land. Uh, the land devours its inhabitants, and there are giants in the land. And we were in our own sight like grasshoppers to those, to those giants. And when they looked at us, we were like grasshoppers in their own sight. And you know, unfortunately, that is a the story that we find a lot of time in our lives. And I hope today will be a turning point for someone who has faced this challenge. We know what God has promised. We have heard what God has promised. Critically, we have read God's word and we know what he has promised each one of us. That, that's our own version of the promised land. But then the challenge is that when we look up to enter that, that promised land, those promises, we see giants that are literally because they are there, 
stopping us from entering God's promises. And so, how do we enter those promises? Hence the title for the message, We Have to Kill Those Giants. And today, I want to give you a master class in killing giants. Whatever those giants are, and there are all kinds of giants, this is a master class in killing giants. It's taken from a story that we all know, and so that, 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 that means I can paraphrase it very quickly because there's a lot we want to share. It's taken from the story of David and Goliath. Most of us will know that story. It's one of the most popular, one of the most um, frequently told stories in the Bible. Um, young David uh, uh, encounters Goliath, the, the champion of the Philistines. As the story goes, um, David is asked by his father to take some food to his brothers um, who are at the war front. The war front is um, um, two mountains and a valley in between. On one mountain, the Philistine army is, is in battle array, in battle positions. On one side, the army of Israel is in their position. And, and, and David is asked to take provisions to them, to his brothers. Now, when he gets there, uh, he, he takes the provision to his brothers, and when he gets there, uh, he, he notices this, this giant that is intimidating and threatening the, the army of Israel, daring them to confront him, asking if one of them would come and confront him so that he can deal with that person. Um, and as he watches this, this, this giant, and you know the description of this giant in itself is frightening. First Samuel, the 17th chapter, verses 4 to 7. First Samuel 17, 4 to 7. Then Goliath, a, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and had a bronze coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor. He carried a bronze javelin on his shoulders. The shaft of his spear alone was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spare head that weighed 15 pounds, just the spare head. And then he had an armor bearer walking ahead of him carrying a shield. And this terrifying picture of, of a human being would stand there and taunt the nation of Israel. Literally, the Bible says, shouting at them. In, in, in verses 8 to 11, the Bible says, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. And then he raises his voice, I can imagine, and declares, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. It's the nature of giants that they terrify you. They paralyze you. Uh, they stop you from achieving what God wants you to achieve. And 
This was a physical giant, but we deal with giants in our lives that are stopping us from entering God's promises. Sometimes it could be the giant of fear. Sometimes it could be the giant of a debt. Maybe the giant of sickness. Maybe the giant of, of, of a low self-esteem that constantly tells you, despite what God has promised, that you are not able to do it. Maybe the giant of something that happened in the past. Maybe the giant of shame or stigma. The list goes on and on. Frankly, a giant is anything in your life that is looming, intimidating, taunting, shouting at you, speaking great words against you, stopping you from entering God's promises. So if I, if I am terrified by nightmares, it has become a giant because the Lord gives his beloved sleep, but I can't sleep anymore because of the nightmares. If I can't do what God would have me do and I am enslaved in debt, the debt has become a giant. Uh, if, I am, if, 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 if my body is afflicted in a way that I'm struggling to perform what God has asked me to perform because God wants me to do it in that particular way, but I can't, then that affliction has become a giant. And the list really goes on and on and on. Giants that stand intimidating, taunting, daring us, shouting at us, causing us to, to be afraid and to cower and not to enter God's promises. Well, we want to learn from a master uh, at killing giants. We want to learn certain principles, certain lessons that can help us as we deal with the giants. We deal with those things in our past that are seeking to hold us back, those incidents and circumstances that are seeking to stop us from entering God's promises. They are standing in our way. They are, they are intimidating and taunting us. Now, we want to learn as we have a master class in killing giants. So what are these things? There are 12 of them, and so we have to go very quickly. Number one, we learn that you have been anointed for victory. It's instructive that David had already been anointed. If you, if you back up in your Bible to the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter, verse 13, the Bible says, so as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned, returned to Ramah. There was no Goliath in sight, but he had been anointed. And when he was anointed, he was empowered and enabled to have victory. The Spirit of God came upon him mightily. And so when he got to the battlefield and was going to engage Goliath, he looked like a boy in the natural, but he wasn't a boy spiritually because he had already been anointed king. So it was a king that was coming against Goliath. He was not defined by his circumstances. His brother taunted him. Have you left the few sheep that we, that we gave you to come here and get involved in what is a man's thing? His brother didn't realize that he was talking to someone who was anointed by God as king. His brothers didn't know who he was. You know, sometimes in life, our circumstances don't tell who we really are. Sometimes we're still going through stuff. We're still 
on a journey. We are still building. And when we look at our circumstances, it doesn't tell who we really are spiritually. I want you to understand that spiritually, you are a king. You are anointed as a king. You have the power of a king, and it's generic, whether male or female. You have the power to decree, to bind, and it will come to pass. Does the Bible not say that? In, as the Apostle Peter helps us understand that in 1 Peter, the second chapter and the ninth verse, where the Bible talks about, about us being priests and kings. So we are anointed to be kings. We are kings. And so I might be living somewhere that doesn't look like where a king lives. I might be dealing with stuff in my life that hasn't been sorted out. But do you know what? When I gave my life to Christ, I was anointed and enabled to overcome every plan of the enemy to deal with every giant. I am wired for victory, anointed for victory, enabled for victory. The heavens are backing me up. In the spirit realm, I'm not a tiny little boy. I am a giant of a king that has been anointed for victory. That's the first thing, number one. You are anointed for victory. So it doesn't matter where you are, my sister. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. It doesn't matter that the circumstances don't look like that. You are anointed by God, by the Spirit of God. As long as you are a child of God, you are anointed for victory. Number two, there is always a promise waiting on the other side of the giant. When David got there, David asked, what, what, what will happen to anybody who takes down this Philistine? And the men told him, 1 Samuel 17, verse 25, it says, the king says he will give him a cash reward. He will reward him. He will give him one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from, ta from paying tax for the lives of the members of the family. David could not believe this. Most of the people saw an obstacle as soon as David saw this, he knew that this was a stepping stone. He actually went around asking, what did you say that the king will do? I want you to know that the giant is there because he's trying to stop you from entering a promise. If that giant goes down, you enter something that God has promised you. There is a reward waiting on the other side of the giant. Number three, your armor or anyone else's armor will fail you. And this is the challenge we face. We try to deal with these circumstances with our own armor, with our own plans, in our own way. And the best of us sometimes will sit in the middle where we are mixing and matching a bit of God's way, a bit of our way. Because we're just thinking we need to somehow get involved ourselves. Now look at the example of David. 1 Samuel 17, verses 38 to 40. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, a coat of mail, David put it on, strapped the sword over, took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. 
I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. That's what he was used to. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and the sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. The armor is symbolic of a solution in the flesh. There's nothing spiritual about it. It is carnal and it is fleshly. And how many times does the Bible warn us of of the pitfalls of dealing with these giants by our flesh, where we think that we can sort it out without God and without a spiritual solution? Does the Bible not say that wise king in Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's what we need to encourage ourselves to do, to trust God. Trust God to show us how to deal with that giant. Trust God to show us how to get past that giant into the promise that God has made for you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Once we trust in him and put our understanding aside, our understanding comes subjugated to his spirit, then we can then acknowledge him in every way, declaring that he's our source, he's our solution. Our help is not in horses or chariots. Our help is in the Lord. We look up to him from where our help comes, and then he directs our path. Number three, the battle is primarily a war of words. It is primarily a war of words. Listen to what the Bible says in verses 8 to 10. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the, to, the, to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of, of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, I will be your slaves. If I kill him, you will be my slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send a man who will fight me. The shouting... The raising of his voice, the speaking of great words is designed to strike fear into their hearts. And that's exactly what happened. As he paced up and down, he was striking fear into their hearts. That, that, that this is who I am. I am going to deal with you. And so, of course, it's a war of words. He's speaking words, but we, as we will find out, must also know how to battle him in the war of words. So that was number four. Yes, we are on to number four now. The giant that David had been dealing with, or was about to deal with, had been there for quite a while. The Bible says he paced up and down for 40 days and 40 nights. That's a long time. Now, your 40 days and 40 nights might be different from my 40 days and 40 nights, but this is just a word of encouragement to someone. The Word of God, when it is preached by the Spirit of God, has signs and wonders following it. And so I prophesy into your life that every giant, no matter how long it has been, as you apply these principles I declare that the end of that giant, it might have been pacing up and down for the equivalent of 40 days and 40 nights, whatever that is. But by the grace of God, in the name of Jesus, that giant is coming down 
today. I declare that into your life. Number five, giants are killed by words. Giants are killed by words. Listen to what this giant said. Verses 43 to 44. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his God. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. It was really about words, shouting them, yelling them, cursing. And that's really how, how giants function. They try and intimidate us by words. That's why a lot of the fight is going on between our ears as words are poured into our minds as the giant tries to intimidate us. You can't do it. You're not able to. I'm going to frighten you. The words are pouring in. I'm going to expose you. You, you're just, you, you, you shouldn't even be thinking that you're in that category. You should look at who you are. Look at your failure. Look at the things that you haven't done. The words are pouring in. The Goliath, the, Goliath, the giant, yelled, trying to overwhelm David with his word. But listen to David's response, verses 45 to 47. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Amazing expression by David. Here's a young boy facing a nine-foot giant, and the giant tries to intimidate him, curses him by his gods, yells at him, shouts at him. But what is David's response? It's the response of a king who knows he's a king. It's the response of someone who knows that victory is already his. Is the response of someone who understands that it is not possible for God to lose a battle. The audacity of his response. You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Oh, I wish that we understood the power in the name of Jesus. At the mention of that name, every knee must bow and every tongue must confess. It's not possible for us to speak that name and for the enemy to stand there taunting us. At the mention of that name, he must bow. The giant must give way. He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel who you have defied. Today, he says, and I like the authority today, not tomorrow, not next week, but today. And I wish someone would say today, today that giant is going down. This is the last time that you will be intimidated by that giant. He says today, the Lord himself, not me, David, but the Lord who is fighting for me, the 
Lord who is fighting for you. Today the Lord will conquer you. And he says, then I will kill you and cut your head off. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds of the air. You will know, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone here will also know that God rescues his people with his people, but not with sword and spear, with his mighty power. What was David doing? He was merely making, he was, he was making confessions, declarations, and decrees. He was speaking words that confessed what he expected to happen in the future. He was making declarations, de declaring what was going to happen. He was making decrees that would bind the enemy in the sense that if that decree is backed by the Spirit of God, it has to come to pass. Hallelujah. Number seven, it is not our words, but God's words that have power. You see, David does not say, I come in my own words. He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. When the enemy confronts Jesus in Matthew, the fourth chapter, from the fourth verse, his response, a model for us, is the word of God. You see, the challenge with the church is that we can't take the giants down by our own words. Giants are not intimidated by your words. What intimidates giants is the Christ in us, not us. That nine-foot giant was not intimidated by a, a, little, a, a, a small boy, a, a young boy. It is the Christ in us. Take Christ out of us. We are cannon fodder. We are shish kebab. With the enemy has us for lunch. But with Christ in us, he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. But then we have to know the words to be able to use the words. Doesn't the Bible say in Ephesians, the 6th chapter and the 17th verse, that this word of God is the sword of the Spirit. It's our only offensive weapon. Who goes against an enemy without an offensive weapon? If we don't, if we are not in the word, if we can't confess it, declare it, we frame our worlds by what we confess. Do you know I found out something that I find very interesting? I found out that, that the word abracadabra, which I thought was a, 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 a magic word, Shala and I found out that it's actually an ancient Aramaic word. Aramaic was the language that was spoken, an ancient Aramaic phrase. Aramaic was the language, is the language that was spoken by Jesus. And what do you think abracadabra means? It's amazing when you find out. It means I speak and I create. Now, they stole it from us, abracadabra. They stole it from us. Uh, God set us an example at creation, Genesis 1. He spoke and he created. And you and I are supposed to speak and create. But we don't speak our own words. We speak the word of God. That's why we encourage you to read, study, meditate the word of God. Then begin to confess it. Begin to declare it as the spirit of God puts his breath on it. It becomes a creative force. It arrests. So the battle was already won in that war of words. David won, as we will find out, the war of words. Even though Goliath wasn't dead, Goliath was as good as dead because David understood that. Number eight, 
you have to make sure in this battle that you have the last word. The enemy cannot have the last word. You don't allow the enemy to have the last word. If you look at verse 47, after he had spoken, David, the last word that he spoke, and he will give you into our hands. That was the last word. After that, verse 48 tells us that he then drew, the Philistine drew near to meet David, and David hurried and ran toward the army, toward the army to meet the Philistines. Don't ever let the enemy have the last word. No, you must always have the last word. You, you, you have the, the word of God in your mouth. Make sure that is the last word. You are going to die. No, I am not going to die. I am going to live and I am going to proclaim the goodness of God. I simply cannot die. You are you're going to fail. I can't fail. It is impossible for me to fail. There's too much that God, God, God has wired me for success. That might be your plan, Satan. Might be your plan, giant. Many are the plans in the hearts of man, including yours. But God's purpose for me will surely stand. You must have the last word. You know, talking about that, the, the, having the last word, and having, you know, the word being the fight. As I mauled over this message, I stepped into my bathroom, and I had a very interesting conversation with God, where um, um, God said to me, you know, this whole thing has symbolism in it. And I said, what do you mean by that? He says, well, the, 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 the symbolism is that David picks five pebbles and gets his sling and goes against this giant. And that there are three things that worked in a symbolic way, just to drive home everything that I've said. The first thing was that he took the pebbles. And God said to me in my heart, you know, those pebbles are really like my word. Yeah, five pebbles, five, five words. He took my word. Let's just say my word. And he says, the sling is like your mouth. This is God just talking to me in my bathroom. I'm just sharing with you some of some of my conversations with him. He says, so when you put my word in your mouth, when you put the pebble in the sling and you release the pebble, that means you release my word from your mouth. That means we release it by our confessions, our declarations, our decrees. He says, then it goes and, and hits the target. But he then said to me, but how, how possible is it that a young boy can shoot a sling and it really hits the target, bang in the forehead of, of the giant and brings him down. There's a chance he could have missed. He says, but you know why he won't miss? There's an unseen force that gives speed to the stone and gives accuracy and direction to the stone. He said, that's how my spirit works. He says, put my word in your mouth. Release my word in the same way that the stone was released out of the sling and leave my spirit to bring to pass the unseen hand of God to make sure that that stone hits the target right in the center of the giant. Put the word of God in the sling of your mouth. Pick up the pebbles and put them in the sling and release them and then let the spirit of God do what the spirit of God says he will do. After all, those words that are spoken, we understand, can't fall to the ground without achieving the purpose for which they were spoken as long as they are spoken under the unction of the Spirit of God. And you know, there's some, there's some humorous conjecture 
um, about five pebbles. Have you, have you wondered why he, why he picked five pebbles? I mean, it's a bit of humorous conjecture as to why he picked five pebbles. Because he just needed one pebble, you know. And the truth is that if he missed with that pebble, he has no chance. That, that, that Goliath is going to be on top of him like, like, like in a flash. But why, do, why do, did he, does he have five pebbles? Well, this is a bit of conjecture. Um, apparently, uh, Goliath had four offspring. Yeah, four giants were born by him. And apparently, with a bit of humor in this, the five pebbles were meant for the five of them. How do I know that he has them? Because if you look at Second Samuel, the 21st chapter, don't worry about it. You can look at it at home, verses 15 to 22. It tells you about his offspring and then tells you how David's men also killed every one of his offspring. So guess, I'll find out when we get to heaven, but guess what I think? I think David really intended to go after all, all five of them. So he picked five stones. But then he, once he got the boss, uh, he left the rest of them for his guys to deal with. And in 2 Samuel 21, verses 15 to 22, he deals with all of them. Number nine, um, David put God first. There were material rewards, but David's focus wasn't the material rewards. His focus wasn't, I'm going to get a wife. It was a byproduct, byproduct. His focus wasn't, I'm going to get a cash reward. It was a byproduct. My family don't have to pay taxes. It was a byproduct. That wasn't what was driving him. What was driving him was God. He was jealous for God, jealous for the name of God. He was, he was driven by this Philistine that was taunting his God. And as a result, he made it God's battle. Part of how we take down these giants is that we must make it God's battle. We must make it more about God than it is about us. When Goliath said, when they said Goliath was defying the armies of Israel, David didn't join them. David said Goliath was defying the armies of the living God. You see, you, he saw it as an affront to God. And because of that affront, he's, he's being jealous for God, jealous for the name of God, in that way, touched God's heart. Listen to him in verses 45 to 47. He says, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. That was it for David. That you're, you're not taunting Saul. You're not, you're, not taunting, you're not taunting my brothers. You're not taunting the army of Israel. No, this is about God. You see, somehow you have to see that giant standing in your way, stopping you from entering God's promises, not just about yourself. It's about God. It's about God's plan for your life. It's about how God is going to use you to be a blessing. It's about how you're going to serve others. It's about how your God is going to use what he has blessed you with to be a blessing. And this Philistine, that giant, is trying to stop God's plans from coming to pass. And we understand that it is not possible to do so. You have to see it about God. He goes on to say, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistine to the beds of the air, wild beasts of the earth. And then go on, listen to what he says, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Why do you giant need to come down in my life? That they may know that I serve a living God. That they may know that my service of God is not in vain. That they may know that my commitment to God is 
is not in vain, that they may know that there is a living God in Israel. Then all this assembly, he says, shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Number 10. I want to encourage you to learn from David. The God who did it before will do it again. You know, sometimes when a giant comes, we forget that God has dealt with other giants in our lives. That God hasn't gone to sleep. The God who did it for you, who took you through, who turned it around, cast your mind back. That God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can take you through. Isn't it a tragedy? Uh, the tragedy of the ten spies and the nation of Israel, that God brought them through the Red Sea. They had dealt with hostile tribes. He brought water out of a rock. He did amazing miracles. So how can that God not be able to deal with a giant that is in the way of a promise? We have to learn from David, verses 36 and 37, 1 Samuel 17. He says, your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Listen to what he said. We have I've done it before. I've killed a lion and a bear. What's the difference between the lion and a bear and this Philistine? You are going down. Let's look back and see what God has done. If God did it for you, came through for you, that's the beauty of testimonies. Even if it wasn't for you, look at what he did for another person. God can do that for you. He goes on to say, Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And then when Saul heard that, what could Saul say? The boy was confident. He had precedent. He looked back and he could see that God had done it. What was he telling Paul? I know that God did, did this for me. I know that God came through. He came through in my finances. He healed my body. Uh, he, 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 he turned that situation around. He delivered me from fear. Surely he can deal with this. Cast your mind back and let the precedent strengthen you that the God who did it can do it today in your life. Today, the giant is coming down. Number 11, as we come towards the end. Now, all this is good, and I don't want us to get into a place of what I call spiritual irresponsibility, because you see, faith without works is dead. There must be action to the faith we have. Number 11, he acted in faith. If it is God, there will be an element of us acting in faith. Verse 48 to 49. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet him that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face. To the earth. Now, I'm sure you know that what powered that stone was nothing natural. The stone didn't just hit him, cut him, bump his head. The stone went straight into his head, broke bones and muscles and sinew and all kinds of things and drove straight into his head. It obviously was powered by God. But the, the story there is that David acted in faith. He picked himself up. He hurried towards him. 
he, he, he took this, the, the stone out of his bag, put it in his sling, and released it. May God give you the grace to act on the faith that he has given you. And lastly, number 12, we've tried to go through as quickly as we can, but amplify it in your mind. May the Spirit help you to do so. Number 12, and this should be an encouragement to someone. You know, I love how the story ends. The Goliath falls flat on his face before David. Now, it's very interesting. I'm sure you remember a story about the Philistine god called Dagon. Uh, the story is in First um, Samuel, the fifth chapter, verses one to four. Well, uh, what, what, what happened is that the Philistines brought this, their god, Dagon, um, uh, and they put it in their temple and then brought the presence of God, the ark of God, and they put it next to this god, Dagon. Can you be that? They, they put their God and then put the ark of God, the symbol of the presence of Jehovah, this presence of the creator of the ends of the earth, the one to whom all power belongs, the one who created the foundations of this earth, who holds it together by the power of his spoken word. They put Jehovah, the uncreated creator, next to a God created by hands, a God called Dagon. And when you read the story, when the people woke up the next day, Dagon had fallen on his face before the ark of the Lord. <laughs> what do you think happened? It was a power contest. At night, when everybody had gone away, show me your power. And of course, there's no competition. There's God and there's, there's all the other gods that are made by the hands of men. And so, of course, in that power context, in that power contest, what happened? Dagon bowed, fell before the presence of God. So when they came, they saw Dagon on the floor. So they took Dagon again and put him in his place. When they rose up the next morning, not only had Dagon fallen on the floor with his face bowing to the ark of God, Dagon's head and the palms of his hands had been cut off, broken, broken off completely, and they had been thrown away. Only his torso was left. Now, it's instructive that when, when his own God bowed to the presence of God, when the carrier of the presence of God came against the giant, the giant followed his own God and bowed in a similar way to the presence of God. It's the Christ in us that intimidates the giants. You know, I remember teaching a, a young son, um, Sochi. Um, sometimes he, he would have some nightmares. So we told him, we said, just you say Jesus. You don't even have to understand it. Don't worry. You're inside this house. It's a covenant house. If you say Jesus, whatever is coming at you has to stop because it is the name of Jesus. And to his amazement, it, it, it worked and it's working. So we've, we're teaching him that just say Jesus. It doesn't matter. Don't worry. You'll understand it. We're teaching you to understand it. But that name alone, at the mention of that name, every giant must bow. And you know, it's instructive that... Goliath's God bowed, and Goliath the giant bowed. Well, as I end, I want to say to you that on a hill far away, on an old rugged cross, the God of this world was defeated by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They had no way of knowing that by crucifying him, they were putting the final nails in their own coffin. Had they known, the Bible says, they would not have crucified our Lord, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory. 
They had no way of knowing that that was one move by God that was going to be checkmate. And by his crucifixion and his resurrection, our own God won the battle. Satan is a defeated foe. And so if Satan, their father, their, their leader is defeated because of our Lord and Savior, he has put himself in us. So when we come against the giants, the giants have no choice but to follow their father, their leader, and also fall. And so I declare to you, if you're watching, that by this message, as you imbibe it and do what you need to do, as you do what, Jesus, what that picture that God gave me, put the pebble in the sling, put the word of God in your mouth, and release that word of God by confessions, declarations, and decrees. The Spirit of God will be the wind behind that pebble as it hits that forehead of the giant and causes that giant to fall. I declare that if our Lord and Savior won the victory at the cross of Calvary for you and I, we are already victorious like David. We just need to do what we need to do. Hallelujah. And as I end if there's anyone who hasn't accepted that victory that was won at the cross of Calvary, what a day to do so. Every giant in your life is coming down because it's already been done at the cross of Calvary. All you have to do is receive him into your heart. It is the Christ in us that terrifies the giants. Why don't you allow that Christ into you so that you can truly become an overcomer more than a conqueror, a giant killer? And if you would love to do that, why don't you say this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your son Jesus, I receive him into my heart. I turn away from anything that I am doing that is displeasing to him as I commit myself to obeying him and obeying his word. By this token, this prayer, I declare that I am now a child of yours. I am now part of your family. I am now a new person, born again, in Jesus' name. Amen. And why don't you all make this declaration with me? Say, Heavenly Father, every giant that is stopping me from entering what you have planned and purposed for me is coming down. I have become a giant killer and I kill every giant by your word. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Amen, amen. I'd like to encourage you to go back, read that word, put it into practice, activate it, and let's start to hear some amazing testimonies of giants that have been slayed and killed. God bless you.